all the markets, all different asset classes, even the real estate's all woven in. They're all connected in some way. Something somewhere breaks or changes and it creates a ripple effect through every asset class at some point. Some is delayed, it's all just different. Welcome to Investing in the US, a podcast for real estate investors, business owners, and aspiring entrepreneurs looking to grow their wealth by investing in US real estate. I'm your host, Reed Goosens, and so far, I've acquired over $800 million worth of investments on various properties across the United States. On this podcast, I interview go-getters, risk-takers, and the best in the business to learn more about their investment journey and the cutting-edge strategies they are applying towards building a legacy. For more on growing your own wealth and by investing in the US, visit www www.readgoosens.com. Today on the show, I have the pleasure of speaking with Chris Vermeulen. G'day, Chris. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today, mate? I'm great, Reed. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. Chris, with that being said, we like to ask everyone on this show who comes on the show is like to rewind the clock and make, uh, tell me how you made your first ever dollar as a kid. I would think the first, yeah, it's a, a good question. I think the real first hard earned dollar where you actually had to, you had a boss type thing somewhat was. I would probably say I was 11 or 12, maybe. And I lived out in the country. Uh, we're in apple country here. So there's apple fields of every type of apple you can imagine. And uh, my friend lived across from an apple orchard and we would go there. And at the end of the season, you have to pick up the grounders, all the ones that have fallen off the trees, kind of rotten. Actually, a lot of them are rotten, but they use those to make like apple juice with and, and different stuff. So here we are with these massive big wooden bins and picking one apple up at a time. And it was, it smelled terrible. I hate the smell of vinegar. And a lot of them are rotten kind of apple vinegar and they're soggy and slimy. And it takes like, it feels like thousands to fill up one bin. And we got paid by these big, like one meter by one meter bins. Uh, and they were like a meter tall. And some of them you'd pick up and there'd be like bees in them. You'd get stung. I, I mean, it was, it was a terrible job. And I realized how hard it is. Like one bin, I think we got paid like $8 or something. It was ridiculous. And that was my first wake up call. I did that for a few weekends uh, in the summer or a few days in the summer. And I was like, this is not for me. This is, uh, <laughs> this is not my style, but uh, that was probably the first hard earned. I would call that a job because I didn't like it <laughs> and uh, it didn't pay very well. No, that's that's so funny. I love how you use meters there. So for those American listeners, that's probably nine, no, three feet by three feet. That's so three feet cubed. You probably have a story before you got into the real estate world, before you got, oh, sorry, the, the investing world, before you got into becoming an entrepreneur. What was it? And then what really led you down that path to become an entrepreneur and start, you know, being smarter with your money? Yeah. So it was a pretty long journey, but uh, I started it really young. So my parents were both entrepreneurs. They both had their own businesses. They were both professionals. And uh, my mom was in the hearing aid business. My dad was in the dental uh, making dentures. They worked really hard. They were big into real estate as well. They had a lot of properties. But uh, my sister and I, we grew up, you know, going to events with my parents. They'd go to, uh, we'd have to run around putting flyers indoors just in our town for, you know, all their their businesses and things like that. I just learned like how hard they work. They never stop working. They're entrepreneurs. You know, at a young age, I realized how much you have to really focus and make sure you do something you love. And they both liked what they did. They were both pretty much top sellers in their areas and, and kind of dominated the market. And so we, my sister and I got a taste of entrepreneurship there. And I saw my dad, he ended up getting really big into real estate. He had about 1500 units across Canada at one point uh, with his partners and investors. And so really just being around it, my dad had this box. He was always listening to all kinds of cassettes on how to make money and how to you invest in real estate and you name it. And so I grew up 
listening to those in the car rides, or I still have the box here of all kinds of my dad's books and cassettes, just because I feel like it's it's such a vital piece of kind of history of uh, getting kind of where I am today. And that's what I'm now. Like, I don't watch really movies. I don't read books for pleasure. I read books for pleasure, but not for entertainment. Everything I read is educational. I just love to absorb and learn. My parents did very well. My dad retired in his early 40s. Eventually, he got back into kind of the business world because they're entrepreneurs and they, you got to keep busy and you want to keep doing stuff. And uh, he got into bed with a couple of the wrong investors who literally took all the investment capital and all of his investors' capital and they just like disappeared, never seen again. And they ended up going bankrupt. And that was when I learned pretty quickly that you could be healthy, have all the money you need, and one bad investment can completely destroy you. And um, we went bankrupt and we went from living on top of the food chain, very good lifestyle to literally having nothing but the clothes and furniture. It's all you're allowed to keep. My dad ended up having seizures. He almost he almost died just because of the stress. He lost all of his friends because they were investors, lost most of his family because they were investors. That was my first wake up call to risk that if you don't protect your capital, bad things can happen, not just to your money, but to your life and to your, your lifestyle and friendships and things. So that was a that was the most powerful thing that really hit me at a young age. But there's a lot of little things that kind of wove, wove into all that. So just before that happened, I was 16 years old. I was in high school in finance class and there was a stock market challenge. And they're like, okay, if you have $100,000, you know, what are you going to invest in? Back then, all the symbols were in the back of a newspaper. And I picked symbols along with the rest of the class. We made like $180,000, something like that over a semester of play money. And I was like, this is how I want to make money. We didn't have to do anything really. We made a ton of money. That caught my attention. And not long after that, my dad got this little paper booklet in the mail from a guy named Larry Williams. He's kind of like the king of futures trading, which is trading commodities and indexes and things like that. And I read this booklet about how much money you could make. It got me in hook, line, and sinker. I was completely into wanting to trade. I asked my dad if we could open up a futures account. He laughed at me. He's like, no way. It's like, do you know how dangerous that is? And you know, keep learning and you figure out a different way to do it. And I eventually kind of got into the stock market as I went off to college. So I lived in the country, had no TV. I always played outside. I was either building log cabins, playing paintball, hunting, fishing, you know, whatever it is outside. All we did was play, my friends and I. When I went to college in Toronto, it came with cable internet or cable TV. And I got hooked on Speed Vision for some reason. I loved it. And CNBC, which back then it was like a big tech feeding frenzy. It was 1997. Things were on, on fire. It was just pre big tech bubble. And I finally turned 18. I got my dad to co-sign on an E-Trade stock trading account. I put in a couple grand. I bought my first stock, which was Palm Pilot, the little handheld with the pencil. <laughs> I don't know if you remember those. Yes. And I, I went away to Florida for Christmas for holidays, never looked at the stock market. I came home and I made $8,000 on my first trade and I cashed out. And then I've been hooked ever since like even more. So I eventually lost it all uh, during the tech bubble, learning that you can't just keep putting money in and you have to protect it, which is how I kind of evolved to where I am today. It's all about protecting capital. If your asset isn't going higher, your investments, there's no point in owning them. Go find something else that's going up or at least paying you interest. There's no point in holding things going down. And, and I'm a technical analyst, so I follow price charts. I follow data. And with the data and price, we can tell if something is trending up if it's trendless or if it's going down. And so I use that. 
and simply wait for very large moves in the market to move in and out. And here I am now, you know, 26 years later, this is really what I do, what I love. It's my game, my passion, my hobby, my business, you name it. I'm in my sweet spot and I really, really love it. And I've written two books and I actually got Larry Williams, one of the top futures traders in the world to write, you know, to, to uh, be part of my book, which was really cool because he's the one who got me into it. So when I wrote my first book, I said, Larry, you got me into this. Can you write a little blurb in here about, you know, about trading and all that stuff? So it's really amazing how it goes full circle. And now I'm just right into the stock market. And I found a sweet, sweet spot to invest that is a very comfortable way to, to grow your wealth without the volatility and the risk that most people experience. How do you go and you know, become protect that investment? And what are you teaching to the layman who is trying to break into the stock market and maybe have a little bit more diversification? Long story short, and this is what shocks a lot of people is I, I don't believe when it comes to the stock market, I don't believe in diversification. It completely goes against everything everybody thinks about, is told, is learned, and and does. Diversification when you get into the stock market. All you're doing is you're spreading your money out over a whole bunch of different stocks, different sectors, but people don't realize the stock market is one asset. Mm -hmm. When the stock market goes up, almost all stocks go up. When the stock market is in a bear market, almost all stocks go down. It really is just one asset. So spreading your money through it and adding in bonds really is not a very good way to grow your capital because if the stock market is doing well, then the bond portion of your portfolio is most likely going down. And then also, if the stock market is is collapsing, the bond market may also be collapsing like what we saw. Bonds fell like over 40% in the past uh, few years. So they are very dangerous. And the other thing is, if, if people own a bunch of different stocks and sectors, some of them might be doing extremely well. They get into the fastest moving tech and biotech stocks, whatever it is they want to get into. And they could be doing really well, but then there's probably a whole group of other positions they have that are, are doing poorly. So you're constantly just, anything that's doing well is killed by anything that's doing really poorly because you're you're spread out over the whole market. And the whole market doesn't always just go up the same. So you're really kind of neutralizing your gains. So that's kind of the, the, the core of what I do is I don't believe in diversification. I say, okay, if the stock market is favorable, we're going to buy the stock index and we're going to ride that trend, that wave going up. If it's not favorable, we do not want to hold any stocks at all. We want to actually go look at a different asset class. It might be the US dollar index, which typically rallies when the stock market or a bear market is uh, is happening. And we might go to bonds. We might go to a cash position where we just collect daily interest on the sidelines and preserve our capital. And I don't know if you're a surfer or not, but I, anybody who's walked down a beach on an ocean, when you see surfers out there, they're floating out past the break. And what are they waiting for? They're waiting for that next set of waves to roll in. Everybody's waiting for that clean set. You can see them coming. When they're coming, you can pick the one you want, which for us is we see big waves roll through the market every year. There's about five to 12 waves. We pick the one that's in the asset class that we're comfortable with, that we understand, we know how it moves. And then we jump on that investment and we ride that wave. And the nice thing about a big wave is you can also tell when it's losing power. So we know when it's about to break. We know when to say, okay, let's keep locking in gains. Let's tighten up our stop, which uh, allows us to get out before it really rolls over. And we can get out of that investment and then just let it go by. It's done. We don't need it anymore. We're just like almost like renting stocks or investments at that point. We just catch the wave. And as it goes, we, we, we cut out and we're gone. 
So that's how I, I focus on the market is we sit there, we look for about five to 12 trades a year. We put our money in whatever asset it is. It could be stocks, bonds, the dollar, cash position, and we just navigate it with ETFs. So we only have one position open at a time, one ETF trade. It really doesn't get any more simple than the way that we trade it. And the nice thing is, is we're never holding things falling in value. It's the market falls, we're in something going up. And it really blows people's mind that you can actually do this when you understand how the markets go. There's a lot to the markets, a lot of analysis that goes in. We use a lot of different types of data, but we can walk around these markets very well uh, with a strategy that has very low volatility. So it's mm. something that you can put money in and not stress about it like most people do. I am actually a surfer, so I do love sitting out beside, behind the break. And part of the reason I live in Los Angeles and I, you know, surfing is my passion. So talk about those five to 12 waves a year. What are they and how do you know when they're coming? And to that other point, how do you know when they're losing power? Because I think that's a very interesting dynamic because someone who's listening to this, you know, like in the real estate world, they talk about, you know, identifying an asset class. Is it single family? Is it multifamily? Is it, you know, mobile home parks? And then going becoming a master of that asset class and then seeing where the peaks and troughs are coming and then identifying the market. Yeah, understanding where the trends are going. So how are you identifying those five to 12 waves? I use like a, an asset hierarchy. So there's the most volatile asset at the top, which is the stock market. And then it drops down to bonds, which move a little slower. And it's a different asset class. And then I move to the dollar index and then cash. So as the markets in the world kind of gets crazier, we're moving to slower and slower moving assets that can go in whatever direction they want. They're their own little animal that uh, you know dances to the beat of its own drum. So we can just move around to whichever one at that point. But to I, I identify where these trends are when, when a new wave is coming, one is ending. All the markets, all different asset classes, even the real estate's all woven in. They're all connected in some way. Something somewhere breaks or changes and it creates a ripple effect through every asset class at some point. Some is delayed. You know, It's all just different, but more or less when we look at the stock market in terms of what's causing these waves, is I like to look at different sectors. So there's different sectors that are defensive. There could be the utility sector or precious metals. Uh, when people get nervous in the stock market, they tend to start to move to utility stocks because no matter what happens in the world, you're still going to need running water, electricity. So people move to those and they pay some half decent dividends. Uh, they might move to healthcare. No matter what, we still have to take care of our health. So it's it's a sector that usually will start to outperform the stock market. Maybe people are flowing into gold. They they want they don't know what to do. They're moving to a physical metal because they don't trust stocks. They think the those you know the they're just going to fall in value. I bring in cycle analysis. So time there's time waves. So the stock market has reoccurring wave like patterns every year. There's money that flows into the stock market weekly, bi-weekly, every month from people's paychecks, different funds. Everybody's constantly putting money in generally uh, during a bull market phase. Um, there's economic data that comes out regularly, uh, quarterly, monthly, uh, that creates movements in the markets. And uh, there's there's a lot of different things that just come into play. So we, we bring in people's sentiment. We want to know where they're putting their money and where they're putting their money tells us what they're thinking and feeling. We put in time analysis, so we have cycles. We use moving averages to identify just as the overall trend moving up or down. We use volume flows on the New York Stock Exchange, so we can tell when there's panic selling in the stock market or when there's FOMO, there's people piling in. They don't care what price they pay. They just want in because they feel like they're missing out on a rally. 
and I use the New York Stock Exchange uh, because it's the big board. If you go to an average investor and say, pick a stock, you need to buy one right now, they're probably going to name one that's on the New York Stock Exchange. So by by taking the money flows in the New York Stock Exchange, the, the volume, when everybody's selling and dumping shares on the New York, that's the general mass public and their psychology. When they're panicking, we're actually looking for a market bottom to take place. I, uh, when everybody's piling into the New York Stock Exchange, they're the last people that are like, oh my gosh, I'm missing out. I got to get in. And they buy. And then the market actually puts in a short-term top. So we use a lot of different analysis. That's just some of it that gives us all of this insight to show us money flow, sentiment, what sectors are starting to pick up speed and if the indexes are losing speed. So there's a lot to it, but it's a, a very unique way that we can see the market coming, that the waves coming usually two or three weeks out. We can also tell when it's getting tired that we're probably going to be exiting in the next week or two or a couple of days. So there's no surprises. It's a, it's a momentum shift, just like a wave or a tide going up and down. We can see things changing. And once we hit certain thresholds, we just change positions. How have you seen the last two years with the, the Fed here in the US raising interest rates and, and, and affecting the stock market and still seeing such strong growth? And do you think from a macro economy point of view that you know, people look to the stock market to say, oh, this is the, 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 the barometer for the economy, but you know, 25% of Americans are actually invested in the stock market. It doesn't actually really reflect what's happening on the street. I don't know if you have any thoughts about that because I know a lot of people really, really tie the quote-unquote economies to the health of the stock market. And that may, that may be a fool's errand because it doesn't actually fully represent what's happening in the economies today. Yeah, you totally, you totally nailed it. I just did a mentoring session with a lot of subscribers today and we touch on this. And I actually created a big infographic that actually covers this. There's the stock market cycle and then there's the economic cycle and there's a big delay between them. So people look at the stock market and they use that as their gauge of how things are doing. But the economy usually takes a lot longer to kind of kick into like the stock market may have topped you know, in 2022 or might be topping right now. Uh, yet the economy technically won't top, we won't be in a recession for at least probably six months down the road because it takes two quarterly bad GDP numbers of decline. And so there's this huge delay. And, and once that data comes out, then people get start to get nervous. But at that point, the stock market is already well on its way. The damage is done. And these people have no idea, like, why is everything going down? The economy is good. But there's this massive, the stock market leads the economy and people don't quite realize that. You know, I think there's a huge shift going on in real estate. I think there's going to be an unbelievable real estate opportunity in you know a year to three years. Like the next kind of opportunity to kind of load up at things that are fair value, potentially undervalued, and if you get into the right assets, which I, I like multifamily, I'm into self storage. I think that's going to be the next way to have passive income for the rest of your life because it'll go up in value and generate more income and you're not paying through the nose for it because I think things are pretty 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 pricey right now. I want to jump in there for a second because I think you bring up two very good parallels. As an operator, I'm seeing and back to the analogy of and when we rent to at RSN Property Group, we rent to blue collar workers, right? And I've seen a massive uptick in delinquency across our assets through five different MSAs in the, in the Sun Belt, right? And mm -hmm. I'm going to come back to the stock market, but, but I just want to hear me out here. Like, to me, we have felt more in a recession than what 
the stock market is, or and again, I'm going to ask you about this, but there's indicators in my business that I can say, uh-uh, I don't believe the economy is as strong as what everyone's saying it is. And that's through just because what renter sentiment, right? The, the cost of gas, cost of petrol, of you know, petrol north of the border, but cheese and milk and all that sort of things. Like inflation has really started to take its toll. We, and we've actually now see, started to see rents come off, right? So, and I remember seeing as June of this year in a certain market we're invested in, that first six months, all hunky-dory. You know, we're still getting really good return on investments when we leasing new apartments that we renovated. Then in summer, boom, hit a, hit a complete, like fell off a cliff. We had to reduce rents 200 bucks overnight. And we're like, what the hell is going on? And everyone's saying, oh, the economy's still going well. So I give that analogy in, to then now ask you the question, what do you look at when you say that the market, the stock market leads the economy? What are those canary in the coal mine aspects that you're looking at when you're like, aha, I think something's going to move here. I think something's going to shift here. I mean, we have people, you know, cancel their subscriptions saying, you know, I've got to save money. Money's tight. Um, You know, we're seeing other sectors like the utility sector. So this is capital, not the utility, the industrial, which is capital goods, people buying machinery, equipment, upgrading, uh, expanding their facilities. So we just had this massive run, the COVID bubble. Everybody felt like a superhero. They all thought they hit it into the big leagues and a lot of them did. And they've all been in the past year and a half preparing and expanding their facilities, buying new massive equipment, physical things. And this is what we've seen happen over and over again, just before the tech bubble, just before the 2008 bubble um, in stocks and real estate, it doesn't really matter. The bubbles are all more or less moved together. We see in industrial stocks do really well. And that is because their numbers are strong. All these companies are upgrading and upgrading their facilities, their assembly line, their machines, their equipment, not realizing they don't see the whole picture of the cycle that's coming to play. They're literally spending their money, paying a premium, thinking sales are just going to keep on going, not realizing we're actually at peak risk right now. Everything is overpriced. Everything is to me is coming to an end. There's a a big part of it is just a gut feeling, but I have lots of insight from others that businesses are slowing, home sales have come to a grind. We got... We went from no homes for sale in my, pro- in my uh, town pretty much to now there's like 300 and it happened over like a two month window. So all this stuff is just the early warning signs. And another thing I like to follow is multifamily building permits. If you look at the multifamily building permits in the United States, it had a huge peak about a year ago. And if you go back and look in time, uh, I've got actually a blog post on this, which I could send you uh, later yeah, if you want to take do. a look, because it is really interesting. Um, I break this, the real estate market down, the physical buying real house, houses, uh, real estate in down into a technical standpoint. But we saw the big spike in multifamily buildings. This happened just before the 2000, 2008. And that's because it's one of the most efficient, cost-effective ways to build. When there's not much money left in single family dwellings, you really need to start squeezing more out of the market by moving to to multifamily. And that's where the money goes. And not only that, everything is so expensive because the economy has been booming. People can't afford a million and a half dollar house. They need to go buy a little apartment or condo for 350K or whatever it is. And so the multifamily is the last thing that's affordable to build. It's also the last thing that is affordable for people to buy. And every time we see this, we go into a multi-year soft spot in real estate um, simply because recession kicks in, people start losing jobs. Eventually, they just start to default on payments. They fall behind. They never catch up. Houses go for sale. 
banks load up with all kinds of defaulted properties and the, the cycle repeats, which is really a golden opportunity. It's good to hear that and, and valid, uh, validate what we're seeing in real time. I think the other thing when you, you compare, and, and uh, you know, obviously your stock market is really important, I think you've got a, a great product there, but it's also looking at the credit crunch of why that's happening, right? Why are people putting their, their house on the market? You know, you just mentioned 300 houses. Well, it's because interest rates have gone up. Probably got a variable interest rate on their loan and they can't keep affording it, so they've got to put it on the market. But yet the next person who's buying doesn't want to get, jump into the market at this point to get 70% interest rates. Now, on the other side, you've got smaller businesses which aren't on the stock market. And it was interesting, I was talking to an investor this morning at Coffin. He mentioned an interview with Jay Powell about how stock market companies can, you know, there isn't a liquidity crunch, they can just print their own money because they can sell their own shares. Well, we're pretty much saying through this whole, you know, speech here and this whole webinar that the stock market isn't necessarily the economy because the average small business isn't on the stock market, right? They can't just print their own money. And so my sort of my, as we wind up this show, like, are you seeing anything as I'm trying to bring it together, so it's what the stock market, what Jay Powell's saying, what these big tech companies, that people, that companies can afford to be on the stock market and how they print their own money versus Wall Street versus High Street, where the small mum and pops are struggling to get liquidity to keep their businesses open. And, and I'm seeing stuff on, on just on my side, anecdotally, that that, that, is, that is a problem right now. It's a big problem. A lot of my friends uh, are, I'm in a town that's actually one of Canada's top entrepreneur towns, and it is all the coolest businesses. And everyone is, you know, there's a pinch, a grind going on. It is starting to get a little, things have slowed down. Uh, I have a good friend who's big into real estate, into subdivisions, and they have a lot of investors wanting to back out. And they're mm. trying to get out of these deals because things have gone like bone dry. And um, yeah, so there, there's definitely a lot of, things coming to a grinding halt. You just have to be extra cautious right now. It's not. A, this is not a buying market yet. As exciting as I love to see it coming, the problem I think for a lot of us real estate investors is like holding out long enough so that you know the prices drop enough, things reset, you get to buy the perfect piece of property that fits your style, your portfolio, your personality versus being forced to buy what's on the market right now at a you know nosebleed price is, is the way I see it, at least in my area. Just anecdotally for these people listening, we are recording in early January. Take this as with a grain of salt. I sold two assets in 2021 to a buyer, made a profit, made a healthy profit. I'm now, those same two assets are coming back around. And this is just a one snippet at less than what I originally bought them for in 2017. So take that as you, you want to hear it. You know, this is not going to go for another couple of weeks. This is large multifamily in Triangle State in, in Texas. Like it's here, like it's it's here it, it right is. now, and 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 I think it's a really good opportunity to buy. And as much as we want to talk about the stock market, but like these things are happening in real time, and not many people are talking about it. But I'm seeing it today roll out, and these are deals that I used to own. Now, yeah. would I yeah. would I buy them again? Yeah, at, at, if I could get them less than what I paid for them in 2017, <laughs> sure, sure thing. But you know, it's it's interesting that, and I'm sure you've heard this as well, Chris, that like. You, hear, you talk to these old gray hair investors and they talk about real estate or stocks or whatever. And then they're like, oh, yeah, I bought that company or that piece of dirt or that piece of real estate. And then I sold it. And then I bought it back from the seller at less than what I yeah. paid for it. And then I held it again and I sold it again. You know, they, yeah. they, 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 they buy and trade the same, you know, whether it be you know, business or, or, yeah. or real estate four or five times over over a 20-year period. So uh, I feel like we're at that, the beginning of that cycle right now. So um, 
guys, get uh, get get the get the coffers loaded with investors. Get investors excited. But it's very hard when investors are seeing back to what you're saying earlier is sentiment. Investors can make and break economies through how they just feel, right? And to you, to, to what you just said before, you like I feel like it's a gut feeling that something's going on right now. I feel the same way. I can't point to it, but I'm like, it has not been smooth sailing for the, at least the last six to 12 months in the multifamily space here in the US. Something's going on and it's going to take a little while to trickle down to, 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 to the data, but it is, we have been in a recession, at least in this space for some period of time now. Yeah. One of, one of my old partners, he, he said, uh, buy when they cry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yep, sell when right. they yell. And yeah, right. I mean, that's that's how it works in the stock market. That's how it works in real estate. And it's sometimes it's hard to get investors uh, on board with your idea during the best possible time to do it because they don't realize it's the best possible time. And they're struggling with, we're not in a good time. This Everything's been terrible. I don't want to get in. I'm like, you know, it's just yeah. people who don't know the space. It's Some investors don't know. A lot of investors actually don't know a lot about the market's economy, which is one of the reasons why they invest. They usually give your money to somebody. But it's hard to convince people during difficult, difficult times in the market when things have been down and down and nothing's looking good. Those are the best opportunities. And it is sometimes hard to say like, this is the opportunity. This is not, you know, this isn't too good to be true. It's, this is the opportunity. Nobody wants it but me. And if you invest in it, you know, this is like the opportunity. So, look, I, I could talk to you for hours, but I want to be really respectful of your time. So, at the end of every show, we love to dive into the top five investing tips. You ready to get into it? Yeah, let's do it. Mate, question number one is tell me the habit you practice to keep on track towards your goals each and every day. I have a to do list. I am a to do list fanatic. I've got my little little digital pad with everything. And I, I just wake up in the morning, I make my list of things I want to do. I put like an importance thing beside them. Um, I have an assistant. We've got a shared Excel file with stuff like every month uh, to, to try and nail down and accomplish. So I'm, I'm huge on the to-do list. There's something about checking it off, scratching it off. That is my daily routine. And I reflect. I, I, people always call me, like I, I'm the Canadian hot tub team. I'm, in Canada, I've got a big hot tub outside by the water. And I'll go out there and that is my meditation. I can all pretty much fall asleep in there. And I wake up completely re-energized. And during the whole process, I run through like life, feelings, what I want to do, my passions, all that stuff. And I'm literally creating a, a hierarchy in my head of what I'm passionate about, what direction I need to go. So I do like a mental reset. Every couple of days I'm in the hot tub and I also have my daily lists and my monthly lists. Question number two is who's been the most influential person in your career to date? I'd probably say my dad. I mean, he, my, my, my mom and my dad, I mean, they've worked exceptionally hard. They've been to the top and the bottom and back up high, uh, better than they ever were. So they've rebounded with a vengeance in a blink of an eye, it seems like. Uh, so I've, I've kind of gone through that cycle and watched them do it and how you just have to stay positive and focus on, on doing what you love and always trying to help people. If you just help enough people and you're, and you're doing it in something that you enjoy doing already, like there is no work. It's just I wake up. I'm excited what I do. So I am talking with you today. I just love talking about investing in the markets and helping others and trying to let them avoid chaos because I think there's chaos around the corner uh, for stock market and for real estate investors. Um, but it's an opportunity if you understand what's going on. And I just, yeah, you got to do what you love. That's, I read a yeah. book in, in college in Toronto called Do What You Love and the Money Will Follow. Mm-hmm. And um I mean, it's a tiny little book, but it's just, it's such a simple philosophy. And so many people hate their jobs. They go to work. 
I wake up middle of the night, like wired. And I'm like already thinking of stuff <laughs> I want to do. And sometimes I'll make notes so that I can go back to sleep if I can, or I just get up at four or five. I just have so many things going on between real estate and stock market. And I like to build and invent things. So I'm just constantly, you know, pulled in all kinds of fun directions every, every day, every week. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, question number three is, what's the most influential tool in your business? Now, when I say tool, it could be a physical tool like a journal or that iPad that you mentioned, or it could be a piece of software that you just can't run the business without. What is it? When it comes to, to technical traders for trading, it's probably eSignal, which is a trading platform. I've used it for like 15 plus years, built all my strategies on it. It's all programmed. Uh, so that to me is kind of like my core. I can boot it up and I get a feel of the entire market of every asset, uh, including real estate and currencies and commodities, in a blink of an eye, I can flick through my charts and and know where we're at, what to expect roughly, and uh, and what to do. Question number four is, in one sentence, what's been the biggest failure in your career? What did you learn from that failure? I took a huge risk <laughs> and it failed. So I, had a, I started a health product business uh, in 2008 and I put everything in one basket. I borrowed, I just got out of college, borrowed 250K, invested everything in a product and the product came back, not certified. I couldn't sell it. I was forced to take it to the dump. And my first year in business was burned and wasted. And I was in the hole. I came out of school with no debt and I was in debt 250K like that. And one of the other lessons I learned about managing risk, I've been through a bankruptcy with my parents. I've lost everything just out of college and been in the hole more than most doctors. <laughs> and I had to come back from that. And so now I do not risk my capital. I risk it, but very smartly. There's very good odds. Everything is controlled. I will never lose my shirt, knock on wood, on any one big investment that will cripple me. I am spread out um, among different assets, different strategies, all that stuff. Awesome stuff, my friend. Well, look, Final question is, where can people reach you to continue the conversation? They'll be in your sphere. They want to grab your book. I know you've got it on the table behind you. Where do they go? Yeah, they can go to thetechnicaltraders.com. And if they go there, they can go to the blog. And if they go into the blog and type in real estate, uh, the, the the article I mentioned where I do all kinds of analysis of where we are in the uh, the markets, I did it in June. Uh, it's pretty pretty amazing when you look at the U.S. technical housing market and where it's headed. It's a really great way to get a feel for where things are going and be prepared. Awesome stuff, man. Well, look, I want to thank you so much for jumping on today's show. Just want to reflect some of the things that I took away from today's show. I think, you know, first and foremost, you're, you're a curious guy. I love that you, uh, you know, we're, we're probably cut, cut from the same cloth. Waking up in the middle of the night, writing down ideas, getting getting things going. But I also love how you're looking at the stock market like the wave analogy. You can see it coming. You use technology to help you see the wave coming. You can also use technology to help you see when the wave is is, is slowing down. And I think that the quote unquote, your understanding of diversification and looking at the stock market as one asset is really important. And, and I think breaking that down and people who are interested in learning more about what you do, that to me was a key piece of nugget there that I, you know, as a non-stock market investor, Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that, that makes sense, right? Just taking a step back and looking at it as just one asset is the most important thing um, rather than being like, oh, I'm in tech and I'm in utilities and I'm in this and I'm in that. And it just nullifies everything. You know, you have to just, you got to put it in one bubble and saying, these are this, this is one asset, which is stocks. So really, really love that. Mate, did I leave anything out? I think uh, I think that's pretty much it. Just uh, I think you need to diversify among assets, but not diversify your money in the stock market across a bunch of different stocks because 
yeah, you just have to be well-rounded. That's for sure as, a, as an investor in general. Awesome stuff, man. Well, look, I want to thank you so much for taking some time out of your day to jump on the show. Enjoy the rest of your week and we'll catch up very, very soon. Thanks, Reid. Always a pleasure. Well, there you have it, a cracking episode jam-packed with some incredible advice from Chris. If you are interested, remember, head over to the technicaltraders.com, that's plural, technicaltraders.com, uh, to check out everything that he is, Chris is doing over there. He's got some incredible blogs over there. And if you are interested in understanding more about the stock market investing, and as we said here, we are all about real estate, but Chris is also a real estate investor himself. He's also on the stock markets. You can be across a number of things, and it's good for a macro you know, diversification portfolio to have some money in stocks, in bonds, in, you know, treasuries, in dollars, you know, different currencies across the US. Chris is the guy to go to. So definitely check it out. I want to thank you all again for taking some time out of your day to tune in to continue to grow your financial IQ because that's what we're all about here on this show. The easiest way to give back is to give it a five-star review on iTunes. And we're going to do this all again next week. So remember, be bold, be brave, and go give life a crack. <laughs>